And I just simply titled my message this morning, Christians. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to live as a Christian? And it could do us all well to look and evaluate and understand really what it does mean to live a Christian life, to be a Christian. What does that look like? We're going to go to Acts chapter 11, but let's begin with a word of prayer. Gracious Lord, we do thank you and praise you that you reign, that you are on your throne in glory. But we also thank you that you will reign in our hearts through your Holy Spirit. And Father, may your Spirit dwell within us individually, but may your Spirit dwell in this place today. Father, that your word would be proclaimed. Lord God, that your, your truth would be spoken. And Father God, that we would understand in a greater way how it is that we should live our lives, to live what we call a Christian life. Father God, that your Spirit would guide us in everything that we do. Father, that it would all be for your glory and for your honor. And may you be, your name be lifted high today in this place. For your glory in Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 26. It is a long reading. But I added the first part of this because I think it's very pertinent for today's message. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him. They were in disagreement with him. They wanted to, they was questioning him, why are you doing this thing we're going to get into? So they contended with him saying, you went in to uncircumcised men and ate with them. It's almost like, what were you thinking? How dare you going into those unclean, uncircumcised Gentiles? So he went in and ate with them. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, the birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord. I want to pause there. Peter says, Not so, Lord. So he recognizes the voice as the Lord, but he objects to what the Lord's saying. He disobeyed. He acknowledges the Lord, so why didn't he just jump up and do what it said? But he says, Not so, Lord. He may have been thinking, well, this is to test his faith. But he says, nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. And at that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me, to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me. And we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, Send men to Joppa, and call for for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, as upon us at the beginning." Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, 
but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift that He gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? My friends, who are we that we can withstand God if God chooses to save this one or that one? That one that we think is so unworthy. That one that we may think is unclean. Who are we to stand against God? For it be God's will that all men come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and be saved. When they heard these sayings, they became silent. I like to think they were thinking about what they just heard. And they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, <clears throat> who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Amen. May God add His blessings to the hearing and the reading of His Holy Word. You know, I am fairly certain that we could even ask a new Christian, someone who has only been a believer for a short time, what does it mean to be a Christian? And they would give us a pretty good answer. So I'll just throw out an answer, a question out there. What does it mean to be a Christian? Throw me a couple answers this way. What does it mean to be a Christian? Come on, I hope somebody knows. A follower of Christ. Yeah, to believe, in, God. To believe in, God. in Christ. To believe in God. I believe you could ask a new Christian that. And that's probably very close to the answer they're going to give you. A follower of Christ. Pretty much the same answer that a mature Christian is going to give you. But my friends, there's a question that we must, the church must ask itself. Has it just become a name tag? that we apply to those who go to church without giving much thought to what it really means to be a Christian? Is it just a name tag? We see the name everywhere today, don't we? I mean, there's Christian radio, Christian magazine, Christian churches, this Christian church or that Christian church. The name is everywhere. But surprisingly, how many times do you think the name Christian is mentioned in the New Testament? Anybody want to take a guess? I heard once, I heard twice. Three times. Three times it is mentioned in the New Testament. That's all. You know, some people might think that the name originated as a way to identify the followers of Christ here in Antioch. But it actually came from a Greek word, Christanos, which was originally applied to slaves belonging to a great household. That is where the name came from. They took that name. 
that was given to slaves belonging to... Now, that, that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? We, are slave, we belong to a great household, right? We like that. We belong to the household of God, the family of God. But not everybody likes that part about the slaves, do they? How many wants to be a slave? Come on. How many wants to be a slave to Jesus Christ? Okay, that's better. I'm glad I see hands going up. We should be willing to become a slave of Jesus Christ. So that was a good name that they grabbed, that they tagged to Christians. Slaves of Jesus Christ. Be slaves of His authority and His ways. So what were believers called before they were called Christians? In Acts 24 verse 5, For we have found this man a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of Nazarenes. So they were called Nazarenes. Anybody remember where Jesus was raised? Nazareth, right. He was raised in Nazareth. One of his own disciples said in John chapter 1, verse 46, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So that tells you what kind of place Nazareth was. The place where Jesus grew up. But my friends, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Absolutely. Because our Lord and Savior came out of Nazareth. In Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, Then Saul, still breathing threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So they were called those of the way. In John chapter 10, verse 26, Jesus himself calls his followers sheep. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So we could be called sheep. Many members of the early church often referred to themselves as saints. Now, in the original Greek, saint might have a little different connotation than what we might think of today. Because the Greek meaning simply means consecrated to God. When we think of saint, we think, well, we've got to be holier and mightier and holier than now. Holiness. But it's consecrated to God. So whatever name tag you want to apply, whether it's saint, sheep, follower, believer, Christian, son or daughter of the Lord, or those of the way, the most important thing is that we as Christians are consecrated to God. Consecrated to God. And we are consecrated and made holy by His Holy Spirit. Another important point in our passage when Barnabas saw the great work that had been done in Antioch, he departed for Tarsus to find Paul and to bring him back to Antioch to help with the great need there. Because there were many, many coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they stayed for an entire year with the church and taught them. And so they taught a great number of people. They had to teach them. They had to teach them the ways of the Lord. They had to teach them to live their lives in a way that would be fitting for a Christian or a follower or a saint, whatever name tag you want to put on it. They had to teach them how they should live. 
So for a whole year, they stayed with them. They just didn't pat them on the back and say, congratulations, you're an out-believer, and send them home, send them on their way. They stayed and taught them. That is what discipling is all about. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given Himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. If someone is going to imitate someone, they have to know them, right? You know, you look at children, often as they grow up, they imitate their parents. And it's pretty easy to do because they know them. They've lived with them all their lives, right? You've heard that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I mean, not only do we sometimes look like them, we sometimes act like them, right? We imitate them. Sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes we just do it without even knowing it because we've been around them so much and so long. We know them so well. My friends, that's how it should be with Christ. We should know Him. We need to know Him. We need to know His character. We need to know how He acts, what He says, what He does, and how do we find out? Right here, in His Word, if we want to know how He'll react and what He'll do. Ephesians also said of the believers that they once walked in darkness, but now they are of the light of the Lord and are told to walk as children of light having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Paul lists some of the things that, they are, that are not befitting of a Christian. Fornication, filthiness, foolish talk, coarse jesting, uncleanness, covetousness, idolatries. That's just a partial list. I know that's the list of the things we shouldn't do, but there are a list of things we should do too. Love, kindness, gentleness, those sorts of things. As I was praying and preparing for this message, I was reminded of a little book that I read many, many years ago after first becoming a believer called In His Steps by Charles Monroe Sheldon. The story mainly revolves around the character, Reverend Henry Maxwell, who is the pastor of the First Church of Raymond. He challenges his congregation by asking them to, to not do anything for an entire year without first asking themselves, what would Jesus do? The story then follows the members of his congregation who ask themselves what Jesus would do, how their actions have consequences. The story then shows how each in the congregation reformed themselves. It reformed the entire town. And the story ends with Maxwell having a vision of what some of his congregation's future looks like. But it transformed an entire town. What would Jesus do? That is great advice. Great advice. That we would often be slow to speak. Slow to react. Why? Because we're taking time to reflect on how Jesus would react. What would Jesus say? What would Jesus do? Because as His followers, that's the way we should do it. We should react. We are to imitate Him. We should do what we think Jesus would do. We should say what we think Jesus would say. So again, thinking of old stories, I thought of another old illustration that I used many years ago. I think I used it at Central. Story of a father that took his young son and they went for a walk one day and they're walking out through the meadow and they made their way to the top of a hill. And when they got to the top of the hill, it was a breezy day, 
the father had carried a pillow along with him. When they get to the top, he took the pillow and he took his knife out of his pocket. It was probably an old timer. And he cut the pillow open. And he just took the pillow and went like this. Shook it. And the feathers in the pillow just started blowing away. Every feather just blew away. And he turns to his young son. He says, now son, go gather up every feather. He says, father. He says, that's impossible. It's impossible. They're gone. There's no way that I could go get all those feathers back. And he said, son, so it is with your words. Once you speak them, they're gone. They're out. They've done the good or they've done the damage. You cannot go take them back. Slow to speak. Be mindful of what we speak and what we do. Another important point in our passage from chapter 11 is that the gospel is not only for the Jews. That's why I added the first part of this chapter. Where Peter had the vision of all the animals lowered down in the sheet and was told, arise and eat. My friends, yes, the food is declared clean, but it was more than about the food. It was done to deal with the prejudice that the Jews had toward the Gentiles. They thought they were unclean, disgusting, unworthy to receive Jesus Christ. So it was the prejudice against those people who ate such foods. Because at the end of the vision, Peter was told that there were three men at the gate and the Spirit told him to go with them. So Peter was taken to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile centurion's house, where he and his household were awaiting for Peter because he was told to send for Peter. And Peter said, As I began to speak with them, the Holy Spirit just fell upon them, revealing that salvation is also for the Jews. And I shared with Karen how she shared from Luke chapter 2, and I want to read part of that. Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 32. I'm going to reread what she read. Christmas Eve. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. How wonderful to look at that baby in, the, in his arms and said, here is salvation. Here's the Lord Jesus Christ, Messiah, Emmanuel, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. It is for all people, for Gentiles, for Jews, no matter what nationality. It's for all people. You know, Antioch was a very important city during this time. And after the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, the church began to grow tremendously. We know that in one day there was 3,000 converts. And it continued to grow and to grow and to grow. You know, the believers were enjoying such a wonderful experience 
there in Jerusalem. They, they became comfortable. Come on, we're all gathered together. In Acts 4, 32-35, it says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that anything, any of the things that he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And a great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each one, each as anyone had need. And in 6-7 it says, Then the word of the Lord spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of priests were obedient to the faith. My friends, they had become, they, they liked that unity. We like unity. We like that. But God saw that if He didn't do something, they were going to stay right there, huddled in Jerusalem. And He wanted His message to go to all. He wanted it to go to all the world, right? So He had to allow persecution to cause them to flee. That's how they wound up in Antioch. Antioch was, as I said, a great city. It was only third in size. The only ones larger at that time was Rome and Alexandria. So it was a great city. There was a great diversity of people there. There were Gentiles. Yes, there was also Jews there. So it was a very diverse population. And the, and the one part in Acts chapter 11, it says, and they spoke to the Hellenists. Now some believe that the Hellenists were the Greek-speaking Jews, which they are, but some believe that he meant to say the Hellenines, which were Gentiles and uh, Greeks. So, whether they were referring to Gentiles at this point really is irrelevant. The most important thing that we understand is that God's salvation is meant for all. Jews and Gentiles. Every nation, every man, woman, and child. God's salvation is for you. That's the most important thing. And it was important that they knew how to identify this new group. Because there was such a diversity... They had to identify these people. Who are they? Because some were Jews, some were Gentiles, but they had to have some way of identifying this new sect, believers in Jesus Christ. So that's how they come up with the name Christian. Now some believe it was meant as a derogatory name, as an insult. Those little Christ. Those people are acting like Christ. But it may have been just given to distinguish, to identify them between the Jewish Adherence to the law and the Jews that believed in Christ and the Gentiles that believed in Christ. But one thing it does reveal that the mission of these early disciples was a great success. A great success because many believed. As I said, there was only two other times in the New Testament where Christian was named. 1 Peter 4.16 Yet anyone who suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God in this matter. So if you suffer, ask that God will help you to glorify Him. Not say, oh, woe is me, but glorify God. Think of the disciples when in prison and chains, singing psalms and hymns and glorifying God. Oh, that our faith would be that strong. In Acts chapter 25, verses 23 through 27, Paul the prisoner was brought out by Festus. 
And in verse 23 it says, So the next day when Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp and had entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city, at Festus' command Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all the men who were here present with us, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me, both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. But I found that he had committed nothing deserving of death, that he himself had appealed to Augustus. I decided to send him, but having nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him, therefore I have brought him out before you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the examination you take, has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to specify the charges against him. So Paul was given permission to speak to King Agrippa. So what did Paul do? We know what Paul did. He shared Jesus Christ. That Christ came. That He suffered and died for our sins. And those who believe can have salvation. And when he's done speaking, in verse 28, says Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. My friends, there you go. We represent Jesus Christ. We are His representatives on this earth. You know, if you work for a business, I work for CSX, and if I have that CSX name tag on my shirt or on my hat, I am a representative of that company. So when the people see me, I am the, in their eyes, I'm CSX. You might work for, who, who knows, you might work for GE. You represent GE. You, whatever company you may work for, but that name tag you have on, in the eyes of that person, that customer, you represent who your name tag stands for. My friends, we call ourselves Christians. We represent Jesus Christ on this earth. So in the eyes of the world, when they look at us who call ourselves Christians, are they seeing a true reflection of who Jesus Christ is? That's a big question, isn't it? That's a mighty big one. In the eyes of the world, are the people seeing a true reflection of Jesus Christ? Do we represent Him well? There's the question for today. There's a question as we enter into the new year. Examine ourselves. Are we representing Him well? Or do we need to make adjustments? What would Jesus do? I hope that sticks in your minds as we proceed into the new year. And I hope we will ask ourselves, I'm not saying you, I hope that we ask ourselves that question in our interactions with people, in the things that we say and do, in the lives that we live. Because we are Christians. Imitators of Jesus Christ. Amen?